He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, welcome to Insight, I'm Teresa Cowie. This week, school funding. More than 1,500 schools have pledged to stop asking for donations in the return for more money from the government. Their decision means that from next year, the majority of state schools will run almost entirely on government funding for the first time in many years. Schools are also preparing for the replacement of school deciles, and there'll be a new way of funding schools in poorer communities. For Insight, our education correspondent John Gerritsen asked schools what impact the changes will have on their balance sheets and their children's education. Okay, the next raffle to be drawn is our beautiful food raffle. Um, Paula Acethorpe, Riley and Tommy's mum. I'm at a fundraising movie night for Karori West Normal School in Wellington. Parents who've already paid the school several hundred dollars in donations and contributions for activities and trips have also shelled out for a movie ticket, a glass of wine and raffle tickets. Activities like this helped schools bank $567 million in locally raised funds last year, including $145 million just from donations. That money represented 7% of school resourcing in 2018, and schools earned a further $174 million from international students. Karori West Normal School Zone is a fairly well-off area. The school's decile rating is 10, and parents at this school movie night say they really don't mind paying the donation and the voluntary activity fee for trips and other costs. We pay the donation every year, yeah. Um, it's a shame that we still have to do fundraising on top of that. The activity fee covers a lot, and I know the donation barely touches the surface of what you know what goes into the school. So I'm happy to pay it, and we're fortunate that we can afford to pay it. I understand that there's only so much money to go around, um, and if we can support the school, and, and education of children is really important, so, yeah, I'm comfortable with, with paying towards their education. Ultimately, you've got to. If you have kids, you've got to. You've got to pay for them. So I'm happy to pay. You know the money. This is our income and expenditure report for up to September. With our fundraising, we've raised roughly forty-three thousand. Back at school, the principal Jenna Shramka is going through the school's finances. This year's fundraising money is earmarked for the junior playground, so it won't help with the day-to-day running of the school. But the school donation does. It's $180 per child, and Jana Shramka says about 60% of families pay it, so the school will get about $56,000 from that source this year. She says it's always put to general use. Just to balance the books whether it is um, teacher aiding, providing equipment and and resources. We have a good ICT vision, and every year we systematically purchase more, more equipment. Even basic things like making sure we've got good maths equipment, reading books. We certainly aren't frivolous with any of the money that we get given. But the donation is not all that parents are asked to pay for. 
These basketball sessions cost $15 per child, and the school asks for a further $100 to $120 for activities and trips, which nearly all families pay, providing a total of nearly $58,000 this year. Then there's the school camp for children in years 7 and 8, which costs a further $300. Janice Schrampka says without its locally raised funds, Karori West would have to cut back considerably. If we still believe in the principle of inclusion, there still would be the teacher aid costing. But the other factor I think would, would suffer would be any of the external trips or inviting people in. But the big thing would be is ICT because we get a minimal extra in our ops grant to provide ICT. Janice Schrampka says ideally schooling should be entirely government funded and parents shouldn't have to pay for anything at all. I don't think it's fair at all. If we believe in free, secular public education, everything should be provided. I object to the fact that parents even have to pay for stationery, that we have to ask for parents to help us contribute to the cost of taking our students swimming or going to camp. Our funding should be adequate enough for all of those things to happen. Across the city in Strathmore, there's a school where parents don't pay a thing, and they haven't for seven years. We don't seek any funds for anything within the school curriculum, so we don't seek parent donations or we don't seek money for swimming lessons, trip fees, activity fees, or money to participate in sport. And it also means that we don't request parents purchase the stationery for the children. Kyron Smith is the principal of Kahurangi School a decile three school set up in 2013 from the merger of two local schools. Its decile rating is a measure of how many children it enrols from particularly deprived neighbourhoods as measured by census data. The more children from those neighbourhoods, the higher the level of need and the more funding a school gets to try to tackle disadvantage. Schools in decile one get the most funding, up to $820 per student, while those in decile 10, like Karori West, get nothing. Kyron Smith says she and the school's board of trustees were keen to run a school where children didn't miss out if their families couldn't pay. We wanted to ensure equal access and every opportunity for every pupil. The board believed that being in a free school would create true equity. You know, we were aware that there was haves and have-nots in education and my own experience at times had shown that, you know, there were children not participating in things simply because their parents couldn't afford it. Kyron Smith says the school can make ends meet on government funding alone and it doesn't need to cut corners to do that. I certainly don't think we miss out on anything. We have swimming lessons for our children. We, our children go on trips and things like that. We have specialist teachers or people to come in and, you know, that we're paying an extra amount of money to to share their skills. Kyron Smith says the school doesn't run a camp, but that's more because of the time and effort involved than the cost. She says it does do some fundraising, Every two years it runs a spellathon, and the last one raised $18,000.
and as a decile three school, Kahurangi gets about $316 per student in targeted funding from the government. I think it is enough. We've got an equitable education at Kahurangi School. There's no difference with a child in our school that comes from a wealthier family to one who a child who comes from a family where they could be struggling financially. It is creating equity. You know, we have an education that we offer to everyone and it's all the same. There's no one missing out here. That said, Kyron Smith says the school can definitely use more money and she's very happy with the government's donation scheme. From next year, it will pay schools in deciles 1 through 7 $150 per child if they stop asking families for donations and other contributions to school costs. For us, it's a bonus. An extra $150 per pupil equates to 37000 and a bit for our school. So that's a lot of money. We'll look to see how we're going to use it. It could be that we reduce our class sizes. It could be that we can offer greater level of learning support. It, at times, maybe it may mean that we employ another teacher part-time where that teacher can work with particular children. I'm John Gerritsen and you're listening to an RNZ Insight programme about changes to the way schools are funded. 1,500 schools have opted into the donation scheme and for those that receive a lot of money from donations and so-called voluntary contributions for course costs, it was a tough decision. It's going to make it really difficult for us. If it was a very clean a simplistic version as the ministry say and we take their money and we don't ask for anything for anything else we would lose $300,000 Mike Williams is the principal at Pakuranga College, a decile 7 school in Auckland He says the donation scheme will cover what the school currently gets in annual donations but not the contributions it requests for various course costs trips and other activities Next year we won't be asking for the donation at the start of the year and for that part of it we'll break out even on but all of the activities, trips and camps, we're absorbing costs in some areas, other areas we're cancelling the activities, or we're working around, is this an optional activity or is it a core curriculum activity? If it's core curriculum, then you can't charge for it, but if it's an optional activity, then you can charge. One of the areas under pressure is food technology. The school currently asks for $65 per student to cover the cost of ingredients, and its head of food technology, Sheena Prankherd, is worried how she'll cope without that money next year. The biggest worry is that we try and do excellence. We try and um, you know, introduce the students to foods that are interesting um, and into units that engage them. And I'm really worried that if all we end up being able to do is pikelets every week, which we can't actually afford the eggs to do it, then we're really going to struggle to find authentic experiences to engage the kids. And they'll choose not to do food. And I don't really think that we can afford as a country to have kids choosing not to learn how to cook. Mike Williams says his school and others will be testing the limits of the rules around donations and other voluntary contributions next year. We're working really hard to find ways of working within the guidelines but pushing them as far as they go before they break. 
like many principals, we've asked the ministry around a specific examples of is this activity core curriculum or optional? And they will not answer us. All we get told is go back to the generic guidelines. So if they don't know whether it is, how are we supposed to know? So we're making those calls, oh, I think that's optional extra. Interpretation of the rules will be fraught next year and not only for schools in the donation scheme. Schools that are not in the scheme can ask for voluntary contributions to activities related to teaching the curriculum, but they can't couch those requests as compulsory fees, and that's a rule many schools have been bending for some time. Meanwhile, Mike Williams says his school will still be making as much as a million dollars a year from international students. But other than that, it will be running largely on government funding for the first time in years. Certainly in the last 10 years since I've been here, we have been supplementing by probably over half of the money has been coming from outside government sources. If I was to run the school and provide only the experiences the government would fund, most of my parents would leave and go to a school that offered them a better education. Many principals agree government funding is simply not enough to run a New Zealand school. In 1990, we only get 20% of principals saying that their government funding is inadequate. And it ramped up to over 70% five years later, and then it's been running at around 90% or more, saying that their government funding is inadequate for, I don't know, it's now several decades. That's Cathy Wiley from the Council for Educational Research. She's been surveying school principals since 1989 and consistently asking them if their government funding is adequate. She says part of the problem is families' expectations of what their children's school will provide. But costs have also been going up, especially in IT, property and help for children with disabilities. We did a study of uh, school funding and how effective schools ran their budgets and what was very clear from that was the great pressure they had from the increasing amount of digital technology. Property, property issues have bedeviled schools and, and the government and also from the inclusion of students with additional learning needs and the support for all of that hasn't been there. Cathy Wiley was one of the members of the Tomorrow Schools Review Task Force that advised the government on significant reforms to the way schools are run. The task force warned that schools are underfunded, especially those serving poor communities. Cathy Wiley says there's no easy way of figuring out how much more money schools need, but they definitely need more support, including from other agencies like the Education Ministry. Schools do need more funding for what they're trying to do, but I also think that the support for schools, the infrastructure, also needs to be better funded because that's been lagging for a long time as well. You can't just think about schools in isolation from what is the spending we're putting into, for example, you know, specialists working with students with additional uh, learning needs. What's the funding we're, we're putting into really good curriculum resources and support? So, so you have to think about all of those things, think about it as a system rather than just more funding for schools. Despite the ongoing complaints about government funding, education ministry figures show the majority of schools makes a financial surplus each year, though few are able to sustain that performance for more than a few years in a row. The figures also show that nearly 62% of schools finished 2018 with a surplus and 96% had enough assets to cover their short-term debts. In addition, OECD figures show government spending on New Zealand schools is close to 4% of GDP, one of the highest figures in the club of developed countries. That's an indicator that the government is allocating a reasonable share of its spending to schools. But the president of the Auckland Secondary Principals Association, Richard Dykes, 
says that figure is not as good as it sounds. What that ignores is that we have one of the highest uh, youth populations in the OECD. So it's, if you look at it on a per capita basis, we are below the average spending per student, and that's what's actually critical. If you've got more young people, well, of course you'll spend more. But the question is, how much are we spending per pupil? And on that basis, we're close to or below the average. Richard Dyke says the reality is that principals are trying to bridge a gap between government funding and parents' expectations of the education their school will provide. It's not like principals are sort of sitting in their office going, how can I dream up ways of spending more money? You know, we've got parents saying we want more sports teams, we want more coaches, we want more sports uniforms, we want more productions, we want more leadership opportunities. Well, they all cost money. We sit in the, in the middle between what, what the parents want and what the community want and the iwi want and what the government funds, and we, we try and bring those two together, and we know darn well that those two things cannot come together. So we've got to find solutions. Richard Dyke says his own school, Glendowie College, asks for an annual donation of $550 per student and gets about $360,000 a year from parents, with further income from international students and fundraising. As a decile 10 school, it can't opt into the government's donation scheme next year, so it will continue to ask parents for a donation and for voluntary contributions for course costs and activities but Richard Dykes worries that publicity about the donation scheme could make parents at schools like his less willing to contribute. All schools are saying, you know, if, if this becomes a really strong narrative and it starts stepping into the community and, and we get parents saying, we don't want to contribute because we don't have to, then the potential impact is that it'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy and we will have less funding. I'm optimistic that the community understand that and I've definitely talked to principals who've gone out to their communities and have said, what do you want to do? And the communities have come back and said, status quo, we will pay. Because we recognise this money is going to our children and the opportunities they get to enjoy, and that's what we want. So could Glendowie College run on government funding alone? Richard Dyke says it could, but with vastly reduced opportunities for its students. The bottom line is, yes, we could. It would be horrific. Because if we lost all our international students and we lost our, all of our local funding, we would lose about $1.5 million out of our budget. We'd lose about seven teachers. We would lose a number of support staff. Our sports and arts programs would be cut significantly. Our facilities, we would be right down to bare bones in terms of buying new furniture, equipment, looking after our facilities. Yeah, I mean, yes, of course there's government funding for that, but it would be a much depleted school if that was the case. Richard Dyke says some principals are planning to keep asking parents to cover course costs and trips in the same way they always have and see how the ministry reacts. He says others are setting up foundations to seek donations on their behalf and get around the scheme's rules. On the other side of the city from Decile 10 Glendowie College is Decile 1 Mangere College. It stopped asking parents for donations three years ago. But as a decile one school, Mangere College gets half a million dollars a year in targeted government funding. Nationally, schools get $150 million a year in decile-related funding, and it's the government's main way of helping schools tackle socio-economic disadvantage. The principal at Mangere College, Tom Webb, says his school uses its allocation on a range of measures. We overstaff by about two teachers each year, which comes out of school money rather than our staffing money. We have extra provision in the areas of guidance, counselling and, and nursing, so um, extra support 
for our students. We get funding in some of those areas from outside organisations like the DHB funds the majority of our nurses, but we top that up as a school. Given all of that, do you feel that you do actually overcome socioeconomic disadvantage here and, and, and get the same outcomes as other schools? We try our hardest to do that, yeah, and our results have been improving over the last few years, but um, we're still not up to where a higher decile school might be. So is the government funding adequate? Is it enough? I, I guess it depends on what, what sort of education we want in the country, and I think the the education that a lot of us have come to expect, the government funding isn't enough to provide that. And that's where some schools generate money through things like international students or fundraising through um, ex-students, those sort of activities that bring more money into the school. And you're going to get more money next year by opting into the donation scheme. How much much money is that going to bring in? That's going to be about $100,000 for us, um, for our 700 students, which will go a long way. Tom Webb is less certain about the impact of the government's other big change to school funding replacing the decile system with an equity index. The index will use government data to assess the overall level of disadvantage across a school's entire population, as measured by 26 factors such as parents who are beneficiaries, families that move a lot, and whether children have been the subject of a care and protection investigation. Many principals and teachers agree the index will be more accurate for identifying need than deciles, which are based on the enrolment of children from disadvantaged neighbourhoods. Tom Webb says he's not yet sure how much money the school might get under the equity index, but he's pleased that it will do away with the much maligned label of decile one. Financially, it's a bit hard to tell at the moment because the details aren't yet out around our school. Um, I think the biggest difference will be uh, perception so that, that perception of being a decile one school hopefully will go over time and a lot of people see that as a measure of the quality of the education here which is obviously not the case so that's what I see as the biggest advantage. Tom Webb says the index will need to be accompanied by more funding if it's to make a difference. He agrees with the Tomorrow's Schools Review Task Force call to increase the amount of resourcing allocated for disadvantage from 3% of total school funding to 10%. At Decile 3 Kahurangi School, Kyron Smith is another who says low decile schools need more money. She says not all schools in poor communities cover their students' costs and she's seen children in other schools missing out on aspects of the core curriculum because their parents couldn't afford to pay. That decile funding is not equalising every child or what families can afford. And there was a time where, as a teacher, I saw children not taking letters home to participate in different things or choosing not to play a sport, simply knowing that their parents couldn't afford it. So the decile money definitely isn't equalising opportunities for children. Maybe in some places, but I don't believe everywhere. But to what extent should the government be trying to iron out the differences between schools? The president of the Secondary Principals Association and principal of Onihanga High School, Deirdre Shea, says it's an important goal. Ideally, there would be no difference. Every young person uh, deserves the best education possible and uh, I'm confident that, that that's a widely held view. So it, it's really, I think, imperative 
that New Zealand continues to look at this so that we continue to deliver a fantastic education. We know at the moment that we are doing poorly in terms of equity and so it clearly needs to be a major focus so that those differences, as you say, are levelled out. Currently, there are some big differences between school income, even among schools of the same or similar decile. Analysing a sample of secondary school annual reports for 2018 shows some topped up their government funding by more than $2,000 per student through locally raised funds and international students. Others got little more than $1,000 per student and several low-decile schools recorded about $600 per student. It's not yet clear how much the donation scheme will level out those differences because some schools will continue to enrol international students and get income from other sources. Deirdre Shea says the reality is there are differences in terms of how much money schools can raise themselves and they have to work within their means. In reality what it means is that some schools have to think through much more carefully how they spend their money, how they allocate it and what's going to get the best bang for buck in terms of what's going to make the difference for students. So instead of having a trip to France, it might be to um, a local restaurant that has French cuisine and French waiters, that kind of thing. So the experiences can be just as valuable and just as enriching, but it is about thinking how best to cut your cloth. The bigger question, however, is what is the right level of funding for schools? Nobody seems to have an answer. The principals I spoke to suggested just a couple of thousand dollars more per student might be enough, and they also noted that successive governments have been very wary of trying to put a figure on it. The Education Minister, Chris Hipkins, says he's asked the Education Ministry to look at the numbers. I've recently become aware that the previous government, in fact, did commission some work in this area and it was sort of stopped, so I've asked them to go away and... and dust that off and bring back to me what they already know about how much schools are spending and what it costs to operate a school. I'm not expecting that that's going to come back with any uh, identified savings. Um, I suspect it's going to identify the areas where additional funding is required and of course uh, we'll have to you know, step our way through that. Um, but you know, there's, there's no question that you know, the financial pressures on schools now are quite different to what they were 30 years ago. Chris Hipkins says the government's increasing its spending on schools through the donation scheme and it will also help them make savings through things like shared purchasing. He says the overall goal of the government's approach to school funding, from abolishing NCEA fees to introducing the donation scheme, is to ensure children's education is not limited by their parents' incomes. I think if you go back to, you know, why do we have a free education system? Why do we say, by law, schooling in New Zealand should be free? It's because kids' educational opportunities shouldn't be limited by their parents' ability to pay. And I think what's become apparent over the last sort of 30 years is we've been heading down a track which is, says that, you know, more and more costs have been transferred onto parents, and our government's pushing back against that very firmly and saying, actually, the principle of a free schooling is one that we think is really important. The donation scheme will be a big step toward realising that goal and Chris Hipkins says he's not worried by schools setting up foundations to collect donations so long as parents don't feel any pressure to pay. It's not a loophole in the scheme. Parent-teacher associations, for example, have existed for a long time and they've often done fundraising on behalf of schools. Um, I've always envisaged that that sort of thing would continue. I think the issue with school donations, as they have traditionally been treated, is they've effectively been treated like an attendance fee. So, you know, you you sign up, you enrol your child, you get a letter in the post saying, our expected school donation is X. That won't be able to happen anymore and there won't be able to be that pressure on parents to, to pay that donation. 
it's me. <laughs> the donation scheme will certainly ease the pressure on many families next year, but the real winners are low decile schools that have been collecting little to nothing in donations and course fees. $150 per pupil will bring them a little closer to their peers in wealthier suburbs. But the success of the scheme will depend very much on how hard schools look for loopholes in it. And parents will certainly keep on giving to their schools, if not through donations, then through bake sales, galas and movie nights. That programme was written and presented by John Gerritsen. John's recently made other insights on the topics of overseas students and modern learning environments for high school students. And if you'd like to listen to those or catch up on our other insight programmes, you can head to rnz.co.nz slash insight or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Teresa Cowie and that's all from Insight for today. Join us again next week. 